for the last several weeks that I can't find in the book. It has to do with the will of man. I have been taught all my life that God does not go against the will of man, our will. I can't find that doctrine in the book, not the way people talk about it. We said that we're actually slaves of Jesus Christ. That with his blood he bought us out of the slave market of sin. God has said he puts the choice in front of us, but when you look at the way he deals with us as we choose, you find pretty quick that we don't have a free will. We can't do anything we want to do without displeasing God. And he is at work to try to keep us from disagreeing with him. It's a doctrine of men, I'm afraid. That's what Jesus called it. In Ephesians 2.10, it said we were created for good works. Good works are what God wants to happen. Hebrews talks about dead works, which is what we do thinking that Jesus would be pleased that he doesn't have anything to do with. We do a lot of that things that we're not called to do. But we still argue that they're good things. We'll get there in a minute. If you want to, you can go ahead and start looking for Jonah, the book of Jonah. On my Bible, it's page 1308. It's right behind Obadiah. It's a little bitty short book. doesn't have but three chapters. Does anybody know anything about Jonah? What's associated with Jonah? That's what everybody gets. It's a big fish. That's not what it's about. In the process of telling the story, it involves a big fish, but the big fish is not the star. God is the star, and Jonah is the villain. He's the bad guy. He's the guy that's got the long black mustache and wears the black clothes and the black hat, you know. But I want to read you something while you're looking for Jonah from Romans chapter 9 and verse 9. Paul said, For this is the word of the promise. What promise is he talking about? The promise that he gave Abraham, that I'll give you a son and his descendants will be like the sands on the seashore. And he will come at a time when your wife is too old to have children. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. That's what he's talking about. 
And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, Isaac was Abraham's son, married to Rebekah, and she had a son. And she was carrying twins, you remember? Jacob and Esau. Esau was the one that had hair all over him, and Jacob was a liar. Remember that? He lied all the way through his life. For the children being not yet born, they're still in their mother, neither having done any good or any evil, as long as you're inside mama, you can't do bad or good. that the purpose of God according to election might stand. What somebody say this morning? Not of works, but of him that calleth. That the purpose of God might stand. We've been talking about purpose in this thing of God creating each and every one of us. You can't read 139 Psalms without getting the idea that God created us for a purpose. And he has a plan. And we're supposed to fit that plan. And he works all through our lives to try to get us to respond in the way that his plan calls for us to respond. But so... What God wants is what that says, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. He chose, so that's the way he wants it to happen. But of him that calleth. It was said unto Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. That's not the way it's supposed to be. God set out, that the oldest son should always be the one that was a leader. But God reversed it in this case. Now this is twins. One of them is not five minutes behind the other, but it makes a difference, God said. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Now they say that word don't really mean hate, but it really means you don't like him as much. I don't know. I've never been able to figure it out from every dictionary I've got, Bible dictionary I've got. But in other words, he loved Jacob and he didn't like Esau as much as he did Jacob. And they're still in their mother. Not because of anything they've done or anything. He just decided he wasn't going to like him as much as he did his brother. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God not being fair to those two children? They're still in their mama. Paul says, God forbid that we should even have a thought like that. Verse 20. Paul makes a comment about an idea like that. Neighbor, old man, who art thou that repliest against God? You gonna call God to question? 
that the, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Why did you make me like this, God? Now all of us can do that. Why is one of my ears that much longer than the other? I worked myself to death for years trying to get my sideburns the same length until I got out and tape measured my ears and found out one of them is three-eighths of an inch longer than it. God made me that way. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? I was studying about this, and God says you can't make your point without talking to him about Jonah. Jonah? First thing that hit my mind, what's Jonah got anything to do with this? Can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? We're getting the idea that from the 139th Psalm, God went to a lot of trouble given the DNA of your mama and your daddy to make of you a different person than any other person in the whole world. And he went to a lot of trouble to do that. And he was making a point. Then when you got saved, he gave you a gift that has a whole lot to do with your personality. It really does. A person who has the gift of mercy wants everybody to be happy and comfortable. A person who has the gift of administration, of being the boss and of organizing everything, could care less what you think about it as long as they get it done the best way they can. It makes people completely different. And he made each one of us different that way. And we've each got a different ministry in a different field. He made us a bunch of specialists. I look around the room, we've got electricians, we've got welders, we've got this, we've got that, we've got this, and each one of them are trained to be this way. But God gave you an edge in his industry without having to be trained. That's your gift. So let's turn to Jonah. Now I'm not about to read all three chapters. I'm going to hit the high spots. You found it. If you're interested enough to want to know all the details, because I'm going to tell you the main leadings of this book. If you want to know every detail, you can go back and, and read it and see what the Holy Spirit will tell you about it. But chapter 1 and verse 1 of the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
Now, it doesn't tell us a lot about Jonah. It tells us who his daddy was. And in another place, in Matthew, it tells us that his daddy was a prophet. An Old Testament prophet. So Jonah is a preacher's son. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And it's apparent through this, this whole book, that Jonah had some political leanings because God called Jonah, as simple as it said, a word of God came to Jonah. Don't say I came. It just says Jonah got the word. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, the biggest old city in the world, a city of 120,000 people that is three days' walk from one edge of the town to the other edge of town. That's how big it was. And it's come to me that they're evil. And I want you to go preach to them and make them turn from their evil ways. Well, apparently, Jonah wasn't for that. Jonah, a preacher's boy, said, God, those folks are the evilest bunch of folks that ever lived, and they all need killing. You need to zap every one of them. But I know you, and if I go in there and preach to them, they're liable to repent and turn from their sin, and you're liable not to do anything bad to them. And I think they all need killing. Now, essentially, that's what Jonah apparently thought. But Jonah rose up to flee. Lord, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care what you said. I'm fixing to cut out. And he ran. Have you ever run from God? I have. It's not a very comfortable place to be. Once you know that God has spoken to you and asked you to do something, maybe something short, maybe something long term, and you disagree with God, you say, Lord, I don't really believe that you're right about that, so I'm not going to do it. And so Jonah cut out, and he ran. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Joppa's on the seacoast. When you run to Joppa, you don't run any further because you'd be in the ocean if you did. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. Wait a minute now. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's God's will that Jonah go to Nineveh and preach. He knows that. But he went to Joppa running from God. And when he got to Joppa, he ran as far as he could go. Now what's sitting there on the, on the dock? And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down to it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's running from God. But you know what? He's disobedient to God, Right? And when he gets as far as he can run, what's sitting there waiting on him? 
a boat where he don't have to run anymore. He can get a ride on the boat. Now, if you've ever said to yourself, boy, I like that car that's on that lot over there. I've been over there twice and looked at it, and I'm trying to figure out whether God wants me to buy that car or not. So i tell you what I'm going to do. I prayed about it a lot, and come Monday morning, I'm going over to that car lot again, and if that car's still over there, that's going to be God's will that I buy that car. Don't do that. That's not the way it works. I've tried to make it work that way too, and it just don't. Because when you have run from God as far as you can go without getting your feet wet, and you're standing there with your hands on your hips, I can't go any further, the devil will have a boat right there waiting on you. And you can go further. That's not the way it works. You get the answer from God, yes or no. Don't you go to put no circumstances up there. Because I've seen a lot of people make a lot of mistakes because something was still there Monday morning. So what does it say next? So he paid the fare thereof. <laughs> you know, there's an interesting story right there. When you're running from God, you got to pay. When you're going where God wants you, he pays. But when you're going the other way, you got to pay. And when he got to there and the devil had the boat waiting for him, he couldn't get on the boat without paying the fare. He had to do it himself. God didn't make a way for him there. You've heard the song, God will make a way. Yes, he will when you're going his way. So he went with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now let me ask you something. David made the question, Whither shall I go, with Lord, from thy presence? Where are you going to go where God ain't, as the country guy said? Where can you go that God ain't there? David said, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there too. I can't get away from you. Jonah hadn't figured that out yet. But he's getting the idea all along. Now look, Jonah said, whew, I thought I was stuck on the beach. I wonder how close God is behind me because I'm really running. But I got me a boat. I had enough money to pay the fare, so I'm on my way again. You think he probably sighed a sigh of relief because a little bit later he's asleep. <laughs> so he must got some peace to his soul. Verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. The ship is fixing to be broken in half. The sailors, the experienced sailors in the boat are scared to death. 
You think God won't meddle in your business? David caught an easy breath and got in a boat. I can go further. So what happened? God just sends a big old storm on the show on the sea to break the boat up. I don't care what you do, Jonah. I got a way to deal with that, man. The mariners were afraid. All the old sailors on the boat got scared. So the shipmaster came and was asking everybody, who are you? What's going on here? Because I'm going to tell you something now that maybe you missed the point here, but if you read this and look, all of them on the boat thought that one person was responsible for all of that storm. When you see trouble all around you, do you think God is dealing with one person? They did. And they were right. So they couldn't figure it out. So they shot dice. What is the present terminology? They cast lots. They gambled. Because in that day... God's people believed that if they didn't have an answer to something, they could shoot the dice. And it says in Proverbs that whenever you gamble with dice, God is the one that's in charge of what comes up on the dice for every throw. But I didn't think God liked gambling. Well, a lot of Baptist preachers tell you he doesn't, but he doesn't say that. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. God's faithful. He's telling them what the real problem is. And so they go to Jonah and they say, who are you, where did you come from, and what's going on? And he told them that he was running from his God. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, verse 10, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them he had. He admitted it. And he told them, Look, if you want to get out of this storm, throw me overboard. And they decided, no, we're not going to do that. We're not that cruel. And they tried every way in the world they could to keep him throwing him overboard. They threw everything else overboard. And finally they come down to it and the storm wasn't letting up at all. And they said, well, Jonah, we're sorry, but we're just going to have to throw you overboard here like you said. That's the only way we're going to be able to save ourselves. So they threw him overboard. And the storm calmed just that quick. I was reminded of when Jesus was asleep in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples came to him and said, don't you care we're fixing to die? This storm's fixing to turn this boat upside down on us. And it said 
It said, peace be still. And I don't like that definition at all about what was said. The correct way to explain what he said was, it was used by a man who's telling a noisy dog to quit barking. And he turned and said, hush. Jesus turned to the storm and said, hush. And the storm hushed. As soon as they throw, threw Jonah overboard, the storm quit. It just, sea was perfectly calm. So they realized that they had done the right thing, right? But wait a minute, what about Jonah? <laughs> and Jonah describes how he goes to the bottom and he's got seaweed wrapped around his head. And this great fish swallows him. And he stays in the fish three days and three nights. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. <laughs> it ain't working, Jonah. It's just not working at all. God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Who would have thought of that? Let me ask you something. You've heard about the swallows going to Capistrano? They all come in in one day? Hundreds of thousands of birds, when God speaks to them, they go to one place. The Galapagos turtle. You read about them in Reader's Digest? They all hatched out on one beach, and then they hatch out, they go to the water, they swim everywhere, and God speaks to them one day, and they all come back to that beach the same day. You remember when they picked it Elisha back in 2 Kings? about him being, a, they called him a bald head, but that wasn't it. They called him stupid is what they did. They wasn't teasing him about his bald head like they told me he was because I went and looked the words up and they were using terminology that said that he was too stupid to be a, a, a prophet. And when God, when Elisha cursed them in the name of God, two she-bears, two mama bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 children that were picking at Elisha. Let me tell you something I've learned. When God speaks to an animal, he don't get any argument. All those birds turn around and go right where God tells them to go. All the turtles all go swimming to the same beach where they were hatched out. And when you insult a man of God, a representative of God on this earth, God will bring two she-bears out of the woods and scratch your children up. And you know what? Even Moses argued with God about being called to do what he was going to do. But God don't get any argument out of these animals. They all do exactly what he tells them to do. 
but the Lord had prepared. It already happened. Before they threw him overboard, there was a big whale or fish or some sort down there under the water that was waiting on Jonah looking up. And when he comes down and gets in the depth of the ocean, the fish swallows him. Because God told him to. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, Jonah said, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, thine holy temple. When he was in that fish, and he died, and he did die, he prayed to God, and God heard his prayer out of the belly of the fish. Why did I know he died? Because they were looking for a sign in Matthew. They were asking Jesus to give them a sign of what was going to happen. He kept telling them, I've got to go to the cross, they're going to kill me. And in three days I'm going to be resurrected. What is resurrection? Coming back from the dead. And they asked Jesus, what does all this mean? He said, what is it? The Greeks look for a sign and he looked for this. But he said, the only sign I'll give you is a sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. If I die and come back in three days, it'll be because Jonah was dead in the belly of that fish. So we know that if Jesus was resurrected, he had to be dead. If he had to be dead, then Jonah was dead in the belly of that fish. But he prayed to God and God brought him back from the dead too. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah on dry land. Now, understand something. When you are running from God and being disobedient, you pay for everything. When you turn and do what God wants you to do, your means of travel vomits you out on the beach right next to Nineveh because it was just a walk from there. You pay when you run. God pays when you're doing what he tells you to do. That's a neat story to come out of this. That's a neat Neat thing to come out of this. And God made sure that you understood that. Because he said, and he paid the fare. What did that have to do with anything? And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land, where he could walk to Nineveh. Didn't have to take a boat. 
This fish was trained. Do you believe that? <laughs> All God had to do was speak to him. And he did just exactly what God told him to do. So here's Jonah laying on the beach. He's colored purple because of the, the digestive juice inside the fish because everybody's ever been inside. Jonah's not the only guy that ever spent two or three days inside another animal. You look at Ripley's Believe It or Not, there are people all over the world that's been pulled out of the inside of animals and all of them are purple. I often wondered with a city that's three days walk across it, how can one guy without TV, without power speakers, without an amplifier can come into a place and preach and the whole city be turned from Satan and evil and follow God. Well, he attracted a little bit of attention because everybody's talking about this purple guy that's preaching for God. So he's laying on the beach, purple, wondering just exactly where he is. Of course, he can probably see Nineveh or hear Nineveh or know that Nineveh's close anyhow. And here it comes again. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, and preach that they might repent from their evil ways. Same message he gave him to start with. Now he's been running, he's in a boat, he's been in the belly of a fish, he had seaweed wrapped around his head. And he's still right where God wants him. And Jonah, verse 4, began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You got forty days to repent, Nineveh. Change your mind and follow God, or he's going to do away with you. Verse 5. Simplest thing in the world. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Now let me ask you a question. And this is for you to ask yourself. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Do you believe this? Do you believe here that God is speaking to a fish? Do you believe he can cause storms and turn boats upside down? Do you believe he can decide what's going to come up on a pair of dice to show people what his will is? Do you believe that? Now the next question I want to ask, how much of it do you believe? Do you believe all of it? Do you believe this really happened? If you don't, well God's wasted his time. Wasted my time. As far as this is about talking about it. Because see, I'm going to tell you something. I'm dumb enough to believe that every bit of it happened just exactly like the Bible says it did. They put on sackcloth and ashes. The king made a decree where everybody had to do it. Verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And Jonah said, See, I told you, Lord, that's what you was going to do. 
That's the reason I think they need to all be zapped. That's the reason I didn't want to go preach to none of them. You wasted my time. I thought as merciful as you are and as gracious as you are, you would probably, if they turned away from their evil ways, you probably wouldn't kill them. And I didn't want no part of it. I knew this was going to happen. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why? Because God didn't kill the Ninevites. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my own country? Therefore, that's the reason I fled unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. I knew this was going to happen. You're just that kind of a person. Therefore now, O Lord, verse 3, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. Lord, kill me. I'm sick of this. Didn't none of this work out like I wanted it to? For it is better for me to die than to live, Jonah told God. Jonah's pretty upset about it. This must be a pretty emotional kind of fellow. He got mad. He didn't have anything to do with any of it. He got mad about it. I mean, he showed up mad. Mad enough to tell God, just go ahead and kill me. I'm tired of all this trash I'm having to deal with. Verse 4. <laughs> then said the Lord... Dost thou well to be angry? Do you think it's real smart, Jonah, for you to be getting so mad? I mean, your blood pressure get up, you could have a stroke. Why are you so angry, Jonah? This ain't none of your business. This is my business. You were minding your own business, and I come to you and ask you to go to Nineveh and preach. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there he made him a booth. He cut him some bushes and made him a little brush arbor and got under the shade of that brush arbor. And it said, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what become of the city. I'm going to sit here and watch. Because I can't tell whether a city that it takes me three days to walk across is all repented in one day or not. So I'll sit here and watch and see what God does to Nineveh. 120,000 people. But he's mad. <laughs> and God doesn't like it because he's mad. Why did you get so mad about this, Joan? This is none of your business. This is my business. I just asked you to do a simple job. Now, if you don't believe God will meddle in your business, look at, chapter, look at verse 6 of chapter 4. And the Lord God prepared a gourd. <laughs> God is tending to sow stuff in such detail that here he's got a gourd growing. All of them little bushes that Jonah has put together to get, the, get under, get out in the shade, get in the shade. 
God caused the gourd seed to grow up and a vine grow up over the bushes and put a shade over Jonah's head to make him cool. God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that he might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. I'm doing you a favor, Jonah. I'm making that gourd vine there to give you some shade, buddy. I know how funny you are, how emotional you are. I'm going to help you out. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Jonah's gotten happy because the gourd vine grew up over his head. You see how emotional kind of a fellow he is? He's mad, now he's happy. He's glad about this, he's mad about that. In verse 7, God's not through yet. <laughs> God spoke to a worm. You know God talks to worms? You ever seen how big a worm it takes to kill a gourd vine or a tomato plant or whatever? Has you ever had your tomato plant get yellow on the stalks? Because of a little old bitty green worm about that big? God talks to worms. God talks to worms because of you and me. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose. The next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. The worm bit the gourd, the gourd vine died. And Jonah sitting in the sun again. <laughs> Look at God wrote this thing, folks. He printed every word of this in his Bible so that we could read it and get an idea of just who he is. And it came to pass, verse 8, when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die. Here he is again. He's happy because he had him a gourd over his head and now he's sad again and wants to die. This guy, what, schizo or something like that? Ain't that what they call it? I mean, he's up one moment and he's down the next. It's better for me to die than to live. He's suicidal again. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? You getting so upset because of a gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Jonah's arguing with him. Then said the Lord, now listen to this, folks. This is the way my daddy used to talk to me, and it made so much sense, you didn't have no way in the world you could argue with it. You just didn't. 
thou hast had pity on the gore, for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Look, you appreciated the gore. You didn't plant it. You didn't make it grow. It came up in one night and died in another night. And you were glad about it. You didn't have anything to do with it, but you were glad about it. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, a hundred and twenty thousand people live, that cannot discern, but ain't got sense enough to tell their right from their left. That's what God said. They can't discern between their right hand and their left hand. And also much cattle. I don't know why he said that. I hadn't figured it out yet. I hadn't got to a place yet where God said, look, I added this to it down here, and here's the reason I did. He didn't tell me that. I don't know why he said, and very much cattle. Now, I know why he said, and he paid the fare. I get that point. But I don't know what cows got to do with salvation of people. You ever heard of divine intervention? That when God comes down to earth and meddles in your business. I don't believe in divine intervention. Maybe you do, I don't. Intervention is a word that said sometimes God is here and sometimes he's not. You never know when he's coming. I don't believe that. I don't understand it. I'm like Franklin Graham on my TV commercial. The best-selling book that's ever been and always been has been the Bible. It's the Word of God. Franklin Graham says, I don't understand it all, but I believe it all. Have you come to that? Do you really believe what you read in the Bible is true, every word of it? That's where God intends for us to be. I hope you believe it like that. Because I don't question it at all. I wouldn't be where I am if I did. I don't believe there's any mistakes in the Bible. I believe if I read something and it looks like a mistake, then the mistake is in my mind. It's not in the Bible. And I don't care how many times people take it and translate it into other translations. There's one thing that I have come to peace with with me in this book right here. God gave this for me for me to understand him through reading it. And I made an agreement with God. If you want me to believe a lie, you put it in your book and I'll believe it because I'm going to believe everything that's in it. And if I'm making a mistake, you better stop me. I don't believe in divine intervention. I think God is with you 100% of the time, always, and can be that away with 100,000 people at the same time in any place in the world. There are times when I feel like that God has not another thought but is listening to the only thing I'm saying and I'm the only one 
that he's listening to. I feel that. But I've got to know that at the same time, he might be listening to 50,000 people across the world that have the same feeling I do. God can do that. You and I can't. And I'll say it again, Psalms 139. David said, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Where can you go that God is not? So I'm going to ask another question. So that the he who calleth Romans chapter 9. That the purpose of God might stand. He made up his mind how it's going to be, and it's going to be that way. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you're part of it or not, if you're not part of it, he'll speak to the weather He'll speak to storms. He'll speak to other people. He will speak to a, 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 a worm. He'll speak to a fish. He'll speak to whoever he needs to to get you to do what he wants you to do. Have you seen that in these four chapters? God will do whatever it takes to get you where he wants you do you have a free will? I'll ask you this question. After today, do you think Jonah had a free will? Can Jonah go where he wants to? Can he even go in a boat and get thrown over the side and still go where he wants to? Be eaten by fish and go where he wants to? Well, I'm going to tell you what it did to me when I began to realize that this is the way things are. I come to the conclusion that in my life God can do anything He wants to do. And number two, I don't have a thing in the world to say about it. It's not even right that I ask Him why. I was talking with Gary Goggins night before last. His brother, older brother, drowned over here at Limestone Park this week. They had his funeral, I think, Thursday. His wife died this week. They had her funeral Friday. And I was calling him, talking to him about that. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I graduated from high school with him. He's one of three guys that graduated in 1960 that married blonde-headed cute girls that was in the 63 graduating class. And he said, I'll tell you something, Joe, it's the hardest thing in the whole world to be sitting there at your oldest brother's funeral and know that they are preparing your wife in the back room. And I was going to try to encourage him 
He's had eight heart attacks. 16 stints. As Jesse Jordan used to say, he's walking on a banana peeling with another foot in the grave already. He went to work for a cardiologist because he was having so much trouble with his heart he couldn't afford to pay. He's been supposed to be dead years ago. He's probably the sickliest one in our class. And he's still here. All his brothers and sisters are gone. And there was about five of them. And his wife is gone. And we ask why. And you hear what God said. Jonah, you didn't have anything to do with any of that. Why you got to get mad about it? And then get glad. And then get mad. And then get glad. And then get mad. It doesn't even involve you. This is about Nineveh. You ain't even got any kin folks over there. What's bothering you about that? You just want to see them all die because they was mean. The point I'm trying to make, and God said I couldn't make it unless I shared Jonah with you. Was it, folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you say, God, I believe you. I believe that your son died for me on the cross and that he was resurrected in three days and that he died for me and my sins and I want to live for you the rest of my life. That when you do that, you don't have much control of your life after that. You have got a God in heaven that will speak to worms and big fish. <laughs> the biggest thing in the ocean and the smallest thing on earth, just about, to get you to do what he wants you to do. So why not, Jonah? Why not, Joe Clark? Why don't you just give up? Quit trying to have everything your way and do what God wants you to do. And then when he's not telling you what to do, just stand there and ask him. Well, when you get ready for me to do something, just let me know and I'll do it. That's what he's after. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon, Arise and go on the road down south to the desert that is Gaza. The next sentence. And he arose and went. <laughs> he didn't even pack a bag. What I figured out is 45 miles where he was supposed to go. That's a pretty long walk. And didn't even know why he was going. Didn't know till he got there. And God says, there's a chariot and a fellow standing in a chariot reading the Bible. How about going up to him and talking to him? And then... Then Philip began to get the idea, maybe that's why I'm down here. <laughs> and Abraham did something a whole lot bigger than that because he carried all his cattle and his animals and everything with him. Get thee from the Ur of the Chaldees to a place that I will show you. 
That's irresponsible, people. <laughs> but when you got God telling you, you don't have anything to worry about. He's not going to do you wrong. He's not going to send you in a bad place. That's the little book of Jonah that God stuck in the minor prophets. It had a story for you and me. A big story, too. That's a big story, people. It ain't a very big book, but it's a big story. And it's got the messenger for us if we'll listen to it. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for that story about Jonah. I thank you for us to be able to see how you react to us when we're not going along with what you want and the extent that you will go to to get us to do what you want us to do. And then show us in wisdom that the way we're acting is not smart at all. That we don't have any reason for being like we are. Lord, lead us that we might be right. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.